0: As a hero, but leave a fool behind. Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. In their capacity as an award-winning photographer, journalist and producer, my guest today has spent the last decade immersed in the underground scenes of action sports, adventure and the outdoors, and now have their own creative consultant company, Neonstash, which specialises in adventure. Their work has been recognised with awards from the Women's Sports Trust and Campaign Magazine. And in 2020, they won the inaugural Getty Images Show Us grant, recognising photographers working towards a genuine representation of women and non-binary in the media. Their photos have been featured in media such as The Guardian, the BBC, Vice, Positive News, ID, Dazed, Asian Geographic, and Women's Fitness. What distinguishes their work is the focus on the free-spirited characters, in particular women, that define the worlds of snowboarding and skating, rather than the sports themselves. I first encountered them through the short film A Land for Everyone, by the videographer Rachel Sarah, which follows them and skateboarder Lindsay McLaren as they explore the highlands of Scotland. The film challenges stereotypical notions of what a skater or outdoors person should look like and is reflective of my guests' aim in all their projects to show the real face and stories of those involved in a culture to a wider audience. I'm so excited to now invite them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing
1: because I think it's going to be a real cracker of a conversation. Hello and welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi everyone, Well, thank you so much for that introduction. My name is uh, Hannah Bailey and um, you did an amazing job of summarising the work that I do. When people ask me uh, what my title is or what my job role is, I often, um, I found that it's easier to actually say what topic I work in rather than what job role because I do so many different things and I think that is Because I work in quite a niche area of action sports and outdoors. So I always say to people, I work in the topic of action sports and outdoors for societal or environmental good. So anything, any story that falls in that area, any brand, any campaign, any athlete, anything, then I might want to be involved or I might be trying to work in that space. Um, And it's always proved to be a, a shorter way of introducing myself in a sense. But I think a lot of people that work in Sport or in an area that are passion that they're passionate about, find that they are a bit of a chameleon in mm. that space, and I think it comes from um, a drive to find work in that space, but also um you just want to be involved in everything
1: there's so much to choose from and I just love the fact that also I mean most of your work within that space is about not pigeonholing people and you yourself are very much in in that category so you kind of embody the 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 areas that you're interested in as well I think
2: I think it's important um I think everybody has a different path in their career and different strengths and weaknesses. I know that's an obvious thing to say, but I think it also needs to be kind of applied when it comes to um, how you work. And I remember someone saying to me many years ago, decades ago, saying, you're going to have to pick just one thing that you do with work or one thing so that you can be really good at that one thing. Um, and I just found that wasn't suited to my personality or what I really wanted to get out of my work and the mission I have in my work. And I've found over the past, um, especially the past five years, I've really come to be happy in the space of working in multiple different roles. Mm-hmm. And I feel very lucky to have that um, sort of career where I can be a producer one day, a photographer the next day, working in communication the third day. All five days at work can be completely different roles for me. And I kind I want to encourage other people to realise that that's that's a viable way to be in the workspace, um, especially as a creative, and I think a lot of creatives work that way anyway. Um, but yeah, you can you can have a varied, um, a varied creative career, which I think actually keeps you in it longer. And um, it's definitely been challenging to work in a niche space of, particularly you know the women in action sports mm-hmm. side, and, and even more particularly the women in skate started off so tiny and was um, a lot about us as people behind the scenes being very proactive, um, very well, 100% proactive and trying to push these stories and trying to get interest and trying to get people to hope that media or brands would want to invest. And it was for many years um, talking to really a brick wall and not getting much support Mm back. Um, And I think that having that diversity in the work that I was doing and the passion for that subject area just kept me going. And that's why, like you said in your introduction, um, you know, I'm 10 years, a decade into this topic and I've not given up yet. And I keep on coming back to it with more energy and ideas. And A Land for Everyone's an example of that because that was 10 years later, um, really working in this space that we finally got um, support from from a brand, MPB, to make that project happen and to show skateboarding in a new space um, and to have creative freedom over this project. And it was just such a um such a win of a project for us because yeah. we were supported and we knew we were gonna be able to do it right. But that was 10 years later. And it took that patience to get and that time to get to that that place for that.
1: That's incredible. And actually I think the reason that I was so touched by that film as well is you do get a sense of that excitement in it it's such a it's such a personal project and we'll get on to talking about it in a bit more detail but like there is that kind of just just raw joy in it that does just feel like this excitement for being able to go and do something that you love um and and share that with people as well and tell that story and have the space to tell that story and opportunity to do so
2: yeah I mean I felt like looking back at it I think I was just like a big kid being given (laughs) the support to make this dream project happen and um, even when I listened to myself, the, the kind of voiceover elements, like, wow, I just sound so excited. And I was, I genuinely, none of it was scripted. And we were, we were just in our element and we were truly in the elements as well, being in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, and I think for me, enthusiasm is just a key quality for work and for creative or my creative outlet and what I see in a lot of people I collaborate creative outlets and it's our creative output sorry Um, it's just that enthusiasm is you can't buy enthusiasm and if you've got it you've got to really nurture it and keep it I remember starting work in the action sports industry Um, I got a job originally in 2008 working for the Quicksilver and Roxy groups Mm -hmm. and back in the day when Roxy really stood for you know the natural outdoorsy women and just like so inspiring, one of those brands that really influenced me um when I when I got into these sports. And I just remember I was actually the receptionist, but I thought it was the greatest thing in the world that I was in my early twenties. I was getting this job in the industry and I couldn't believe it. You know, I was fixing the printer. That was ultimately my job. You know, I was answering <laughs> the phone, I was fixing the printer, but I absolutely loved every day. And I loved every day for I've loved every day ever since then. Um, but I've never wanted to lose that that enthusiasm. And I think that, you know, it can be challenging, obviously, when you're working in one space for a long, long time. Um, but I think with A Land for Everyone, and like you're saying, we just kind of, we felt, we felt this sort of excitement with it. It came from that enthusiasm. It was almost the nostalgia of the area for me, the Scottish Highlands, and the nostalgia of wanting to make a a uh, project like this happened for so long. So it reminded me of being of when I started out in the industry, just that excitement, being let in and being part of it and just wanting to use every single opportunity that came my way.
1: And I think it's it's really lovely to also just keep that playfulness with things as well, because I think so much of kind of the sort of adventure side of media can feel very serious at times and obviously it is there's people doing big things and stuff but um but it is about getting people engaged and involved and as you say it's about creating a platform for people and that is meant to be playful and enjoyable and I think that's what's so fresh about your approach as well from everything from kind of your branding with your consultancy and stuff like there's just this edge of play in it that makes it really approachable i think
2: Mm. and i think your life is tough and life throws so much rubbish stuff for so many people and i think that if you can bring something that is like you say playful or optimistic or a bit colorful into the world that's then gonna ultimately help people even if it's like helping people because they find the name neon stash funny or (laughs) they just smile at that or they see one of my photos and they think i didn't know that a person that looked like that could skateboard, maybe I could skateboard. Or wow, well, I didn't know that you could go to the Scottish Highlands and go skateboarding, or I could go or I could go into the snow covered mountains and and walk halfway up the hill and not have to conquer and summit it. And there's a lot there is a lot of barriers to these spaces and of course, there's barriers to having the equipment and having the awareness of how to do these activities. But one of the biggest barriers, like you say, is this um, barrier that's been put up by the industry itself, which claims that which is is incorrectly showing that you have to be a certain alpinist or experienced person to be in these spaces. There is a lot to be said to be educated and go into these spaces safely, mm-hmm. even skate parks, like how to keep out the way of people, how to not annoy people, how to mm-hmm. not hurt yourself. But at the same time, it should be inclusive. We need we should let everybody into these spaces because if I'm in this space, then you're allowed in this space. Everybody's allowed in this space. Um, but I think a lot of past outdoor sports media and um, the stories that are told in these spaces have been very much about um kind of like um dragging people in with these extreme stories it was very extreme wasn't it like that word extreme mm. I don't see it in any of the work I do. I never even see it in any of the people that I work with. We don't talk about extreme. It's kinda of like, oh it's a bit shuddery. <laughs> um the same way maybe the word sustainable is, is uh, gives you a bit of shudder in environmentalism. It's like extreme sustainable all these kind of jargon words that Ultimately, aren't bringing people in in the right way, and aren't helping people to do to be part of it. And um, so, I think, yeah, that's it's really exciting for me to work in that space of um, inclusivity and to bring more people into these spaces because there's so much work still to be done there, and it's it's the barriers only just come down where people are are saying, "Oh, I'm interested in seeing these stories of that." are relatable for me my entry into outdoor sports or the outdoors or action sports all these spaces and it has to come from two places and that is one of sport and one of creativity and when I was at school I was you know we're all pigeonholed and are you an academic are you arty are you sporty and I was sporty I was put in the sporty category And I love that. I always, I always, you know, sport has always been a big part of my life and they were much more traditional sports. And um, me and my brother uh, growing up, would spend all of our time in the garden just playing football and maybe playing tennis. And we played a lot of table tennis as well. Um, And, yeah, at at school, it was just very much traditional sports that were were pushed to me. Uh, But because I was told I was sporty, there was something in me that always felt like I wanted to do creative things, but I was told that it wasn't for me. And it wasn't until I left school, and you know we're we're able to think a bit more independently, that um, I picked up uh, a range of film cameras. My granddad was a really avid uh, film photographer. He had his own dark room, and there was all these little slides of shots. And I was like, "How did he take them? What are these? Like, I want the old school cameras that he shot on." Um, so I I picked up a few film cameras and um, really loved the creative. Output, output, and outlet that I got from using them, and um, because the a lot of the creativity is in the hands of the camera, it felt like this pressure was off. That I didn't have to be a creative person; I could just shoot with this thing and work in collaboration with this this um, this camera to get this colourful, flawed, flawed, creative mess of a photo. And anyway, because of that, um, I really unleashed my my creative side whilst I was still doing sport and when I left school um whilst everybody else was going to university and had sort of their community and structure on that side I didn't go that route and I ended up a little bit lost in trying to find where that would lie for me um and I was very lucky to take a chance um when I was about I think it was about 19 at the time to go and do a season and I really wanted to learn snowboard I don't even remember ever knowing what snowboarding was that somehow it came into my mind and I went over to France and I basically learned snowboard and learning snowboard um, opened up this, this community to me this culture this, this subculture just this creative outlet and um, yeah being part of of that um, was a shift in how um, I saw myself within sport as well because um, I didn't realise that these sports existed and they were sports for me that connected me to nature and to um, like I say, creativity, which I hadn't found in other sports I'd done at school Um, so that unleashed a lot of um, that put me on a path to where I am now really going to do that first season, I could literally just go right, that was it, now I'm sitting here (laughs) because of that, Um, but a lot in between obviously has happened and um, Really, my connection to starting work in the media was when I got back from doing a couple of snowboard seasons, I thought I'd really like to get a job. Um, Just, I should settle down, stick in one place and get a job. And um, I just had this chance encounter when I was passing through London where I noticed that the Quicksilver Roxy Group was looking for a receptionist, applied for the role and got this job wasn't even planning on staying in London, but stayed in London to work as receptionist for them. And that opened the door for me to see even further into the action sports industry and world. And quite early on, I noticed from going to events or from going to conferences or just seeing generally what it was like behind the scenes that the women's side of the industry was very much under represented or underexposed. Mm. And because I'd been playing around with cameras and um generally, you know, finding this way to capture things and document things, um it was when I started working in on the skateboarding side of things where I really saw there was a massive gap with nobody taking photos of the women at events or covering their story or um, yeah, pushing them in the media. And so I took it upon myself to use my little film cameras and my little voice recorder to capture um, to capture their stories because I felt like they were really inspiring because I'd been inspired by the profiles of the women that I'd met so far in my journey into snowboarding, my journey into skateboarding and then my journey working in the scene. And I thought, this is this is the sort of content that I would have loved to have seen when I was a young girl in, Mm -hmm. in magazines, you know, rather than reading Cosmopolitan and seeing these images and thinking, oh, when I grow up, I want to be tall, blonde and skinny, like, regardless of how you look, that's probably like what a lot of girls growing up in the nineties thought rather than that. I wanted, I, I would have loved to have seen these, these diverse images of different shapes of, Women, different colours of women, different colours of hair, different different um different everything on skateboards to show that it doesn't matter what you look like, um, it's how you're connecting to each other that's so important, or how you're connecting to the world and what you're giving the world. Um so yeah, my journey into media was finding this gap that wasn't existing. And then one, it was working with trying to work with the the magazines that were already sort of covering that side like there was a women's action sports magazine called cooler magazine back in the day um and the editor sam Haddad, had leaving my first break to do a print piece for them with some of my shots from the x games of some of the most amazing women's skating at um so i was really trying to get my content and to support those platforms but i also then took it on myself to speak to to pitch to all of the mainstream media just proactively nobody was approaching me on this Nobody even well knew existed or even knew women's skateboarding existed i was i was pitching to women's fitness to days to id to vice you name a platform and i will have emailed them in the first (laughs) couple of years of me with my film camera my little voice recorder saying did you know this existed do you want this content shall i do a piece for you like what what can we what can i give you which means that you'll put this in your magazine and it's not for me i didn't want by Hannah Bailey to be anything to do with it, it was about trying to infiltrate the media with these messages because I believed that the stories I was finding the images that I was seeing were inspirational for society to kind of open their eyes to the diversity that needed to be shown with representing women, basically, um, and kind of changing that and... and Yeah, making a bit of an impact in that space and yeah it was like a voluntary role on the side of being a receptionist at the beginning in the industry um and then yeah that was you know 10 years ago and very much so my work has continued in that manner being proactively pushing these stories that I come across and working as an editorial photographer and journalist to get these stories out but it's interesting. the Past couple of years, there's definitely more, um, more of an appetite from the media who are who are now themselves fighting these stories and are featuring women in action sports and the outdoors and the sport in general. Um, and the Women's Sport Trust has done a lot for that to equalise or to try and increase the percentage of women's sport coverage in the media. Um, and because of their work, um, you know, us as behind people behind the scenes have kind of got brought up to have more opportunities to work in this space
1: do you think that the the olympics and um 2020 featuring skateboarding and obviously some prolific female skateboarders has had an impact on that as well
2: oh definitely yeah they've put in the hard graft and um, there are so many amazing um skaters behind the scene that have fought to have um, like equal prize money and to have equal representation at particular um, competitions, like Mimi Knup, um she was a big advocate to get um, equal opportunities for women at street league, which then went on to become the qualifiers for the Olympics. And had she not done that, they would have been scrambling literally two years before to try and make it happen. And um, so there's some um, there's some amazing people like Mimi. And, um, like Woozy have been covering the scene for a long long time, and I think because of their work in doing that um and to amplify the athletes and the work and the effort the athletes have put in to really to go and skate and keep on it, even though they had full time jobs and they were they were on the side one of the best female skaters in the world many um there's many examples of that they kept going because of their passion. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And then the Olympics was always going to propel it. All of a sudden, from what was it before? From I can't really I can't really state what it was before because my my feeling is biased towards it. But <laughs> something that the mainstream audience wouldn't realise existed to be one of the headline sports and disciplines um, of the 2020 games.
1: So you also work with um, an outreach program. Is it is skater Stan? Um, am I correct? in in thinking that's Yeah, I I that spent
2: with. about two and a half, three years working with them um, as communications manager. Um, so I actually went in-house to, to work with them in Berlin um, between 2015 and 2018. Because um, for me, I work freelance most of the time. Mm. But when it's something like that and an opportunity to support and work within an organisation such as SkateStan, um, I really jumped to the chance. And it was one of the most influential times of my career. Um, you know, this is pre-Olympics, pre-people really knowing about skateboarding, um, beyond Tony Hawk and maybe what they see, teenage boys on the street. Doing. Um, and working yeah. with Skatistan was really a dream for um, the mission with all my work because they are an NGO that work with um, at-risk youth all around the world. Um when I was working for them, they were working in Cambodia, Afghanistan, South Africa. Now they're working across all sorts of different countries with a lot of um, refugees um, and, and other at-risk groups. But the fifty percent of their students are girls. And if you think about Afghanistan, mm-hmm. um, it's a changed situation now from um, when the skate schools were working, were operating when I was working with them. Um, they were being given opportunities to skateboarding because there's so much more to skateboarding, snowboarding, outdoor sports than just the sports themselves. And they're getting community, um, the education as well. There was, there was skate schools, at skate parks with um, classrooms attached to them. And really um, all you started the NGO was using skateboarding as kind of, uh, as a guise to then provide education. Uh, both for the kids, like, they want to come and skateboard, but then they're also getting education, but also for maybe the society as well to um accept that girls were going to be allowed to have equal opportunities in, in many of the countries they worked in but yeah that was an amazing time of of my career um, and really I just wanted to support as much as possible the work they were doing during that time and working across many content projects with lots of different collaborators um, and I was really lucky to travel to all of the skate schools that they worked in during my time with them.
1: And I mention it there because obviously we've spoken about the Olympics and and the work that you've done in terms of giving voice to women who are in the sport. But do you think there's a lot to be said for for things like skateboarding and outdoor pursuits um, in terms of empowering women through that? Um, And do you think that that is as much to do with the community that it builds, as well as the actual physical activity itself?
2: I think it definitely has to do with the community, but I think it's also the well-being you get from doing sport. And I think like generally, this is across all sports. I think if I was sitting here as a football photographer, I was sitting here as a basketball photographer, whatever I was passionate about, I think we'd all align within this statement of the well-being you get from doing sport, the physical and mental well-being of it which is scientifically proven and I would say proven through when I go out on a daily basis and enjoy the outdoors, I feel much better for it. Um, So I think that's really important and um, I think the other thing is the community that you get because when you find your passion then you find the community attached to it, then you find a big bunch of people that are like-minded and I think there's something to be said obviously for you're finding that community is so supportive, um, but making sure that you're also still open to other communities and other ways of thinking. And that's where I think like diversity in the outdoors comes in, where maybe in some ways like these communities have become a little bit stagnant. And skateboarding is a good example of that as well, because they were not always welcome to lots of different people within the space, and um, people would still wouldn't consider me bully in that space. Um, because of being a bit unconventional or not following exactly legitimate skate core practices um and I think it's the same in the outdoors that that it's been it has had this community element, but not everyone's been invited into that community um but now there's this understanding that there can be the outdoors community and there's all these different pockets of how you then fit in to that community and um but ultimately, you're all connected by one thing and that is either the sport or the environment in which you really thrive and are passionate about. I think for me, um, again, it's a biased outlook because I'm particularly passionate about outdoor sports and action sports, but where I think that they go one step further on traditional sports is the environment in which they exist or thrive on. And, um, you know, in snowboarding, we're so connected to the snow and the, the mountains and the, the, the lay of the land. And that is really, really important to us. And in skateboarding, um, it's more of the concrete and um, smooth concrete. And you're finding, that's why, you know, skateboarding normally exists in more urban spaces. Um, but I think then that's this connection to the environment that is also really important, that gives you so much back mentally. Um, and it also gives you... Um, kind of a purpose I think as well although I wish I wish it gave more people this purpose but it's this understanding that well for me I love snowboarding so I need snow and I need the mountains so I'm going to fight to protect it and maybe it's the same with all of these things like I want to fight to protect the sport I want to fight to protect the environment and the community um and I don't want to use the word fight it sounds a little bit kind of aggressive I I want to support the community the environment and the sports because um they give so much so much to me and I get so much from them and just thinking um what they can that I believe that they do good for the world and of course then you're then you're really um connected to having a purpose and I think purpose is a big thing with our work or with our hobbies um or with life generally mm. so it's like having finding your passion and your purpose is is really key
0: and when
1: did your when did your passion I mean it, obviously you still have a, a passion for snowboarding but how how did that um trajectory happen from snowboarding into skateboarding and and what did skateboarding give you um that that snowboarding didn't and, and I'm quite interested in that relationship between the different environments as well it was exactly the environment actually um and i'm glad you asked because
2: earlier i sort of all of a sudden went from snowboarding to skateboarding with that kind of gap but there's just so much has happened in 10 years <laughs> and very much the environment because at the time of of working within the industry and i was living in london um snowboarding was my my main passion of course but i wasn't always there wasn't always the snow around there wasn't always the mountains yeah. there <laughs> weren't i had to go home to really find them. And, um, So skateboarding was a natural kind of gateway for me to do whilst I was in the city. Um, And I just got curious in trying it, um, especially when um, I started my um, communications agency, Neon Stash, in 2012. And the reason I started it was because uh, DC Shoes, which was was, and is a skateboard brand, um, had come to me to ask me if, I would represent them in communications. And I was at the time working in house for Quicksilver. it's part of the same group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, what does that mean? I have to go freelance. I don't even know. I don't think do people do that? This seems <laughs> unusual. I don't know anything about business or the possibilities of these things. But I thought, this is cool. I'm I want to do it no matter what. So I set up as a as a limited company and took on DC shoes as my first client. And um the real kind of Defining moment within that move was as soon as I joined that group, I was a lady and a big bunch of guys. Really, um, I got a call from Lucy Adams, who's a um, legendary, and notable, and amazing, inspirational skater here in the UK. She called me up, um, and we just kind of connected. And she was like, "You know, great. Right, what you know? What are you doing in DC? Shoes, basically. Um, do you want to come to Sweden?" And I was thinking. Hmm? yeah okay <laughs> I'm up for this it was a skateboard event like I said I had my little film cameras and I had decided that I wanted to try skateboarding because obviously I was working for a skateboard brand and I was a snowboarder and I was in the urban landscape and trying to make it through until the next snow season um but I was scared because I didn't know there wasn't many women in going to the parks and I didn't know I was I was scared of skate parks at the beginning, like. Everyone is, really. Um, So, yeah, this is in 2012. I hadn't even learned to drop in, and Lucy invited me over to Sweden. Um, And I went with my film cameras and met her at the airport, and she was with a bunch of other uh, UK skaters, Becky Jacks, Stephanie Nardine. And we went over to Sweden just to see this this event. Um, We went to Malmo, where it was very progressive around um, skate community and skate community integration into the city where in other cities, even London, it's been quite a rebellious Mm. activity to do and frowned upon. In Malmo, they actually, they call it a skateboard city. So it's like set up for skateboarders to be friendly. There's paths for skaters to be on. There's amazing skate parks. And they had an event that was also inclusive of women. Um, I think it was called Go Girl, Girl Set Go? Go Set Girl? Something like that. But anyway... I, by going over with Lucy and just taking this chance, even though I was slightly terrified to go with a bunch of skaters without having actually learned to drop in, um, I ended up photographing a series and just following I was just eyes behind their skateboards, just behind my own camera um, and just watching what this scene was, which was back then a relatively, um, in comparison to now, a very small scene. Mm-hmm. Um, women in skateboarding was much smaller in comparison to to how it's kind of exploded recently, which is brilliant. Um, but yeah, I really found that that was those moments in skateboarding and getting invited into that space by Lucy and getting invited into that space by lots of the women who were skating and finding that I felt comfortable entering that space with my skateboard, but more so with my camera. And um, that was really key to kind of setting me off in, on my route as a photographer in the snowboarding space um I've come back around to being a photographer in that space but it's much more complex of course the environment you have to live in the snow you have to be in the right places and um it's a it's it's a it's a different journey to be uh photographing snowboarding and splitboarding and uh, the backcountry but yeah skateboarding was really my my route into becoming a photographer and it was very much thanks to Lucy and the UK skaters for letting me in to cover what they were doing but Lucy did say to me that I did ask her during that trip like why she'd felt compelled to invite me as somebody who wasn't a skater and I couldn't work out and she just said well you you just seem stoked and you're excited and you want to be here and you're intrigued and that's what we need. And she was right. And I think I'm um, really lucky to be invited in to, uh, to kind of see a culture like that at that point. And so much has changed over 10 years. And um, and so much has happened over 10 years. But I'll never forget those those memories of the first trip to Malmo.
1: And you mentioned there about um, your camera kind of being an entry Point into into the skate scene and did you find that having your camera with you also kind of dispelled any expectation that you had on yourself perhaps to kind of be a particular way in that space or to perform in a particular way even though it might not be in competition but just to to, yeah. to kind of succeed at something or to or to yeah, as I say, kind of be someone, um was that a help for you?
2: Definitely. I think a big defining um defining force in my career and both in a good and a bad way is the imposter syndrome. Mm. And I think people bring it up a lot, but I've really found I've worked out how it's affected my career in a positive way as well and at the beginning it was I would have felt like an imposter to go over there with a skateboard but with my camera I felt like there was a reason for me to be there and it was it made me feel kind of um secure to be in that space um which is actually quite interesting because I definitely on another in another perspective I was completely not secure and I'd never photographed skateboarding and I was going with some of the the best female skaters in the UK. But on the other side, because the skateboarding was so terrifying, um, there was a fear around, you know, not being able to do any tricks, not being able to hardly well, couldn't drop in, and um, not feeling really like I should be there from a skate point of view. But from a photographer point of view, or from someone, an intrigued photographer, amateur photographer point of view, I felt like I could be in this space. Um, and over the years actually, the way that imposter syndromes come back to me, is that, that I see now more so is that a lot of the the stories and the people that I collaborate with and you know I say that like a big um reason for my work or mission my work is like shining in the spotlight unless you're seeing faces, the the less extreme, like I said earlier. Um and I think that all goes with the imposter syndrome of I'm I partake in these sports. I love these activities. I love snowboarding. I love splitboarding. I love skateboarding. I even really love surfing and I'm like the smallest wave surfer you'll ever find. (laughs) But I want to shine the spotlight on these, because maybe I, on these lesser seen or smaller waves or smaller hills or less extreme stories that are still, I find fascinating because maybe that's how I see myself. And it's like, if I could... It's all about how can I invite more people like me into this space? Because that's what I know. Like the experience I know, the experience I've lived, I can probably make the most influence in that space. And I think that's how we all have to, to see. Like, I'm not trying to talk for anyone else. I'm not trying to say that the people that do the gnarly extreme things should not be in this space, because they should. They totally, and they could talk for that space. But for me, I think I talk for the imposters. Which we shouldn't call ourselves imposters, and I'll think of a word that we can move that around. Um, but yeah, hiding behind the camera has allowed me to in, into the space, and now I I pitch all my imposter ideas. Like who are these? who, who, who are these people that are that inspire me into the space? Who are these people that can inspire more people into the space and sort of break down the stigma that's in these and the fear that's in these activities. Um. Yeah, I'm really gonna think of a new word for imposter.
1: Well we talked about we talked about the kind of the playfulness in your work. And I'm interested actually with whether imposter syndrome or maybe kind of naivety is an is an aesthetic in a way too.
2: I definitely say so because I've always yeah, I think that coming from a place as a photographer or producer, or any of the roles that you introduced me at the beginning, I'm technically not from a trained position. I haven't gone to university to study these things. I haven't gone to film school. Um, And so I think a lot of my um, work does come from fresh eyes and naivety, like you say. And I've always actually seen that as a a kind of strength to my career path in Mm. that it means I'm just open to open to to lots of opportunities, but also just like really appreciative of them rather than having expectations. I mean I think the challenge I do find these days is um working as if I am hired as a commercial photographer or there's expectations on my work, I've got to balance those expectations with the the creative space, the or the space to create, which I think is challenging for all creatives. Um and I think it's also really challenging for athletes in this in this space as well. You know, outdoor sports athletes, like they have to deliver for a campaign or they have to deliver for a film or and it's all about delivering. But I think it's, um, I think that's why it's important also that you work within an area that you understand and you know, and your experience comes into it because that's where you're more likely to, yeah, not have to fake it to make it. I think that's the opposite, I've not done any faking it to making it, I'm just stumbling along, enjoying the ride, enjoying every moment of it, being playful, and trying to like invite more people to come along with me into that kind of playful space, because I certainly didn't do this alone, I've had so many people that have supported, supported my work, and it's not been just a matter of luck, you know, to say that I... I started my agency because DC Shoes wanted me as to look after their comms. It's like, thanks to Ed Martin. It's like, there's all these people I can thank. Getting a commission in a magazine, it's thanks to Sam Haddad. And this is like, now I'm in this space where I come full circle. I'm like, how can I help people? Like doing this podcast, that's why I want to do it. Because if I can just chat and be a bit honest about my career, maybe someone listens to it was well, there's some such a thing as an outdoor sports photographer. Maybe I'll look into this. Maybe, maybe I'd like to do that. And she just started by having a few film cameras. I, I've i got a few film cameras. Yes, exactly. Just don't fake it to make it. Go and do what you genuinely want to do.
1: I think that's awesome advice because I can imagine also that that wonderful, let's call it imposter naivety, whatever, um, um, aspect that makes your work Unique and attractive could also easily kind of slide into that narrative, or that that women or non-binary people might have of kind of this space isn't for me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Uh, maybe yeah. Maybe I shouldn't do that because I don't have the the expertise, or um, I'm not kind of historically meant to inhabit this space too
2: exactly but i think like you've just got to ignore if someone's telling you that don't work with them firstly just go like find the other people find the people that are going to support you find the people because actually i i did a podcast last year with a, a good friend matt Barr who does looking sideways podcast um sorry to plug another podcast on a podcast no it's a, it's a great really...
1: it's a great podcast everyone <laughs> go listen to that too he <laughs> does a great job like, <laughs>
2: yeah what was he talking oh yeah i was kind of like we we're talking about the state of the industry and I think I said a bit out loud and generally was having a moan and sometimes I do have a moan about the outdoor sports industry and the lack of um kind of support for female creatives in particular female photographers in it and how you know it's been and even throughout interviews I've done in the past I'll say about how it has been tough and that it's we don't get a lot of support for ideas and a land for everyone 10 years later finally we got funding mm. and like Oh, tough, tough, tough. No, no, no. But then I'm like, oh, when I was in the podcast with them last year, I was kind of midway through a sentence. And I just thought, oh, but wait a minute. Actually, that's one side of the story. But the other side of the story is all of these people have supported, all these people that have listened, all these people that have emailed back, um, given advice, thought what you're doing is interesting, wanted to support. They all exist out there. And that's like the community that will empower you and will keep you motivated in that space and i've been really lucky to have that um and i think like not saying ignore the people that are saying no or ignore any side of things but just be careful not to get trapped in in feeling like you shouldn't be in a space because you'll find the space somewhere and you know if that space doesn't exist that's really exciting because then you can create it
1: yeah well, as, as you say, like you have to knock on the doors in order to know whether they're open or not, or, yeah. or whether you just have to go and build a different house, like <laughs> and that can happen, exactly, too. or build your own
2: door, or you work it out. You just got to go action. I work with Patagonia a lot, and um, they're such a great bunch to work with, of course, for lots of reasons, but the environmental, societal reasons. And um, like the founder Yvonne always comes out with amazing quotes, and he's like, all about you know, you can't actually be anything in the activist space without actually being active yeah. <laughs> like, you can't just sit there and go right? climate change what are we gonna do it's like just do something like do something good and it's the same in the creative space as well you know when you have creative blocks think about it, like Nan Shepherd and all her writings and how she had like a 30-year creative block where she didn't write anything and then she wrote the living mountain and I just love that like we can all have these times where we don't create. And we don't. You don't always have to be doing something, of course. Like, let's just chill and not always be putting pressure on ourselves. Um, but the creativity and finding that route for yourself, you need space, you need time. It can be 30 years, it can be three minutes, it can be 30 minutes, it can be three days, but it's absolutely impossible for our brains to just always be pumping out stuff. And I think that comes back also to why outdoor sports um, action sports in these environments I find are really good for mental health and really good for my work as well is that by going out and participating in these activities you get the space you get the space of the gorms. when I go out for a hike I have the space of the Cairngorms and the space of the grounds gives me enough time to creatively think about what I want to do next I don't even think I just don't think and then the ideas come and that is that is how the human brain works. The creative side of the brain works, um, and I think like having that space is is so important.
1: It's really interesting that that you say that at this point because I do I do want to pivot to talk about a land for everyone. It just kind of struck me that actually in that film, it does almost feel like the creativity or the the act of creation is kind of happening in the journey and the filming of it. There isn't a kind of preconceived notion of it. It's like we are watching your relationship kind of with the film and, and the subject matter and the material of it kind of unfold in real time. Is that is that a fair comment, do you think?
2: <laughs> it is, it is. I think it's completely fair on one level and then on the other side, there's so much nostalgia and history to it that existed in the run-up to it, yeah. which kind of formed it. And that was formed very much by a, um, an awesome triangle, um, and it's like collaboration is key to all these projects. Um, and Lindsay, um, who you'll know from it, and who's skating in it, and is just such an amazing and inspirational lady of action sports and the outdoors. Also, um, she she brought in her kind of mission around. You know, why does she she want to come skate? She wanted all. She does a lot of work around inclusivity. In skateboarding through her um, organization, neighborhood skate club, mm-hmm. um, and then myself as as a photographer, and you know a bit about my mission now having listened to this, and then the other side of the triangle was bringing in, um, Rach Rachel who filmed it, who's who has just the most amazing, um, skill to document things in an organic sense and she's so intrigued she's so curious um and she also is just so creative and and open to going with things in an organic way and I think that was so key that nobody um was trying to pressurize anything whether that was like on other shoots you'd be like right you got to get this trick we got to get this shot we have got to get this we were just setting up an adventure together the only thing that we really wanted to do Um, was to create something that was different, that would capture the eyes of more people to go, oh, I've never seen skateboarding in this way before, to then give them a little bit of um, narrative or chat around the outdoors and skateboarding being for everyone. And we really wanted to keep it simple. We didn't want to um, kind of dictate what people take away or say you know there's there's so much to that inclusivity in the outdoors in skateboarding and we didn't want to go too far with that we just really wanted to give some people something nice to watch but Mm -hmm. to be inspired by it and to maybe go away and think like oh could I go in the outdoors or could I do a trip like that or I could maybe try skateboarding or I've not seen three women out in that way before Um, and I think because that was our our aim with it we didn't have the pressure because we knew that whatever we did that was going to (laughs) be the outcome Um, but there was definitely a lot of preparation when it came to um, thinking about this idea that very much came from both me and Lindsay's connection to Scotland Um, her growing up in Aberdeenshire myself in Edinburgh um, both having a connection to the Highlands and I spent a lot of time well, all my school holidays, I would um, take the long road up to the North Coast and um, never did I go to Torridon. But Torridon um, is always a really intriguing place for me because it's so wild. And I'd done a few trips there over the summer uh, with my partner Rupert, and um, he's an amazing photographer. So I was out with him doing some shoots over that side. And whilst he was shooting uh, for various magazines, and I was just kind of there um, just hanging out and going on the hikes, I began spotting some of the beautiful tarmac. And this is where an idea that me and Lindsay had had, skating in in Inverbury together along the coastal path and just catching up. She's saying about wanting to go and do some Highland Hills and I'm over in Jordan just doing the thing. I love hiking and seeing the tarmac and the potential. We were able to piece that together um, and then get the funding from MPB to bring in Rach. Um, So we were really lucky. And then, as always with these projects, As soon as we get the go-ahead, it was about five days before we wanted we were going to make it happen. When we had the weather window, uh, when we had the chance to all come together as a group, and I think that's what I love about the people I work with in outdoors and action sports in my community is that they are literally ready at moments' notice to make some main ace happen. Like you call them, you go, "Beach, are you able to make it to the Highlands of Scotland on Tuesday?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm in Istanbul right now." This is Friday. Yeah, but I can make it for this project. Okay, we don't really know what budget we've got. We've got a slight plan. But yeah, yeah, fine, we'll see you there. And then you just they arrive. And I just love that. And I think maybe that's another naivety side to it, where like we're we're strangely we don't do things by the book. We don't do things by like in a I think just being rogue and being organic and just learning as we go means that we don't have the restrictions because no one told us how you're meant to do things. We just want to do it our own way. And, uh, yeah, so that was a really exciting project, absolutely. Um, being on that trip was just a dream come true. Even we were when we were in a tent in the middle of Ben Daft getting almost blown out the glen, and <laughs> um, it was still an absolute joy we're getting eaten alive by midges while we're trying to eat a uh, stuffed pasta that I'm making in a pot that makes it for about one person <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think it is the lack of sensationalizing that makes it so successful I mean it does feel like a, a midges aside but it does just feel like a cup of tea of a film kind of thing like it, it just yeah. sort of wraps around you and that is what makes it feel so normal and inclusive um because you you don't get a sense of this being out of place you have that initial kind of shock of hang on a sec they're skateboarding in the highlands like am I am I am I seeing this right because for me that was definitely a kind of like I did not know that you could, that you could do that. Like, hang on a second, that looks awesome. And then it's just this lovely kind of conversation and journey that happens. And by the end of it, you're just thinking, yeah, that's, that's great. Of course, there are skateboarding in the Highlands. <laughs> of course, they are. And then, there, you know, you're camping and everything that you would do on a if you were bikepacking or something, nice. basically.
2: And I love that you say it's a cup of tea of a film because that's exactly <laughs> it. And I think, like I said before, there's so much hardship in the world, and we're really lucky in our circumstances what we've got here and our work and just everything. And we just wanted to put, I something, something nice into the world. And I think that. It was a big test for us. I did not know it was going to go down like this, that people were going to enjoy it. Um, I really didn't think that it 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 would be taken the way it was. But I really love it because it's almost like a test for us to put out a bit of content like this, where, like you say, it's natural. We're not trying to push anything. In some ways, we're not really doing anything. We're not experts in different fields. We're touching on different areas around like leaving no trace, adventuring, um, being safe in these spaces, skateboarding. But we're certainly by no means experts and we're not trying to overload people in, in that way. But people came away with it and they weren't like, oh, well, it was a bit boring or, um, you know, well, not much happened there. And it's so nice to have that. It's just like they got why we were doing it and that it resonated with them. And it was a proof that that not that all the projects that we work on, the, the projects Rach works on, Lindsay, myself, and the community that we're connected in with and that we all um, support each other as part of, we're, there is an appetite for the these sort of stories. I think that's what was exciting about it. It was kind of proof through it. Um, and that's why we're excited at the kind of what this can, can open up because it's not about opening up loads of jobs for us, like, yeah, I'm gonna get paid as a photographer for the next ten years for the land runner. It's it's about the fact that it proves an appetite for these sort of stories so that maybe other stories like these can be told or we can help other people to try and get their stories told. Um and I think that's for because I want to see more content like that that just as resonates and has a nice message and hopefully isn't showy. Don't want to be showy it's just about um, putting something nice out into the world it's like in the film i think I, I for me i kind of slightly cringe at this this quote that i say but i just keep on saying you know what's so lovely about skateboarding and what's so lovely about the outdoors and i'm like why did i say lovely so much but i was just having a lovely time i was like could i not have used a bit more of an eloquent intellectual word choice there no no it's just the only word that could come to me at that time in the middle of Glen and and There was this tiny little dot, and there was this beautiful hills all right. All I could think of was to say lovely, and I think that's kind of like that's fine. <laughs> Sometimes it can just be lovely,
1: <laughs> I think it's great. I used to harp on at children when I was teaching English, it's like, No, you can't say lovely, you can't say nice, it makes my skin crawl. You're going to bring me out in hives if you keep putting lovely and nice in there, just filler words, oh, and gosh. now. I'm such a fan of lovely. Say it all the time. I think it's a lovely word. I think we need more of that. it's
2: ridiculous. A lovely
1: cup it. of tea. That's <laughs> what it is. It's just
2: lovely. <laughs> it's, like this chat we're having. <laughs> it's
1: lovely. And I, I, I noticed that you said earlier about, you know, that your journey with all of this kind of started very much with you kind of taking your ego out of it. It wasn't about you. It was about what you were discovering about lack of representation and then what you could do about that and the the sort of tagline of of the film is about respect protect and, and share and i just wanted to kind of hone in on that share aspect cuz how has it been for you um both both in terms of this this film but also other projects that you've worked on like to balance um is trust and like the the Free Life Skates stories. What's it like actually when something that is very personal <laughs> um, and intimate kind of then goes out into, into the public gaze, whether that be a film screening or in a gallery and kind of the communication of your message and the reception of it? Mm.
2: That's an interesting question. I've never been asked that before. But I think I actually find it absolutely terrifying in a way <laughs> when I put out there. But I think it's really important in a way to kind of like practice what I preach because ultimately as a photographer, like with To Balance is Trust, a big mission with that photo series was I was realizing that I was going around taking portraits of women in skateboarding, skateboarding, women with their skateboards and saying this person is empowered because of skateboarding. This person is in a positive place because of skateboarding. Like making claims about them mm-hmm. in a sense, as photographers do the captions that we put on photos um, are as impactful as the photos themselves sometimes. Uh, But how true are they to the person that's in that photo? And how true are they to the perspective of the photographer? And to balance the trust, that series really got me thinking on that. And I was thinking, I want to put the power back in the hands of of, um, lesser-seen skateboarders ahead of the Olympics. Because all of a sudden, the Olympics was going to be like really making bold claims about about skateboarders, about women in skate specifically. And I thought this is the chance to give them the power to say um, really what they feel about skateboarding and why it's important in their life and giving them that that chance to caption their own images. And so every image, every series has their handwritten notes on um, how they feel about it. And it really meant like, that wasn't me being in control mm-hmm. of that. And I gave them that that platform, and I think that when I'm given that, I mean, I feel really honoured when I'm when I'm given that sort of platform because I think me, why, you know, will people find this interesting? And is this this is, you know, what do I have to say? And I'm not, I don't know, the imposter comes out again. But I think it's important that, um, I think I'm more honoured actually when I get that space. But I do feel quite terrified of. Um, seeing myself on the big screen like when we were at Kendall my heart did have some mild palpitations as we were putting a land for everyone up um, but I think if I I think yeah for me it is more about wanting to um, empower the other people not my own story in this space certainly I think there's that my time on earth or in this career space um, I want to commit it to helping um, other people find empowerment from people's stories. And if that is mine as well, then that's really as an honour. But I think it's much more. There's so much. There's so many more amazing women out there. That um, every I guess every story has a relatable element to someone out there. Um, but yeah, over the next. Um, I want to continue my work just supporting these stories and supporting these people that I think are, um, you know, given the chance to tell their story will inspire people for various reasons. And, for example, uh, a big one that comes to my head is my friend Mubaraka, who was part of Skate Stand um, and is now living as a refugee in Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's an amazing outdoors woman. She's, she climbed the second highest peak in Afghanistan before she had to flee as part of a big women's group. Um, she's ran big races. She's she skis. Uh, she's an amazing skateboarder, and she's an amazing photographer. And I think like working with her to amplify her story to help break down what what it means to be a refugee, which is a human, <laughs> and could be anybody in this world. Um, that's where my real passion lies in in trying to yeah help use my time to um elevate stories like that and to to support those people
1: and that kind of ties in with what you what you just said I was I was going to ask kind of what your what your goals and hopes are for the next few years on that journey
2: if I could continue to work the way I have been working in the past 10 years that would be that would be great <laughs> um, and that is a way of of working on these projects to amplify these voices and amplify these stories um, and learning as I go because I just continue to learn from other people. Um, and, you know, working on a series with with Mubaraka, which we started last year, which is a long-term project about breaking down um, what it means to be a refugee, which I think is so important. And it's just fun to um, continue that friendship and continue to collaborate with another creative. I think that's really key. And like I said earlier, if I could find more ways to encourage um, lesser seen faces behind the scenes now, like I show them in front of the camera mm-hmm. and um, you know try and encourage people into the space to try these activities. But what about um, more women behind the lenses of cameras capturing action sports, capturing snowboarding, capturing... Skateboarding, And there's some brilliant people out there already, of course. Um, but I really see, um, I think it's natural you get to a stage in your career, you want to give back to the next generation and, and help more people come into that space. Um, and so something in that area is something I'd like to put some time into. And I also, throughout the winter, um, I run a, a community interest group here in the Cairngorms in Scotland with Leslie McKenna, who's an amazing... Uh, former three-time Olympic snowboarder and um, really humble and fascinating person Um, and we work together to do uh, ski touring and split board workshops to encourage more people into that space which has been a very heavily dominated uh, extreme alpinist space Um, and we're trying to encourage first-time tours and into the backcountry to connect with nature to connect with the snow Um, and a lot of the workshops we do there are also be, um, about capturing new perspectives in these spaces to challenge the media mm. and to show different people in these spaces. Um, so that's a focus in the winter. And, yeah, summer I can just continue these projects and continue writing in my notepads ideas that get made into the future, that's brilliant. That's, like, more of a dream for the next 10 years than getting a million and one commissions from big brands. Or um, I think I'm excited to be in this space and to be part of the change in these spaces and to Mm. be like a teeny small part as I shall say um in the the change and the the proving the interest for these stories in action sports and the outdoors and I think that it's only really gonna grow so um I'm excited to see where it goes and and be part of it and just kind of ride the wave with everyone else and um enjoy it and keep collaborating with people that support and understand what you're doing
1: and I mean you've seen obviously so many changes um over the last decade in both kind of the the media and and the outdoor sports arenas and what do you think the best thing is now about being a woman in in 2023 in those areas because I think we can we do need to focus on the negatives because that otherwise we don't get change. but it can be sometimes tempting like you said in other areas like to focus so much on the grumbling that we don't celebrate (laughs) celebrate where we are as well as how far we have to go (laughs) yeah
2: well I think it still comes back to that same um kind of concept of community I think it's Mm. what was the best thing about uh, 10 years ago is still what the best thing is about it now is that access to or that connection to just the most amazing bunch of ladies. Like the people I work with are real, from Louise at Patagonia to Leslie with wandering workshops and still connect with Lucy on skateboard projects and working with Lindsay on land for everyone. And I think like we're all tied together because we, we have a, a level of empathy with how hard it's been to be part of the industry for multiple different reasons, whether, you know, the struggle to be, An athlete in that area and to actually to to make it in that area to Mm. to uh, to getting a to getting taken seriously in the boardrooms or to um get the support for your projects like we can all empathize with each other and I think we'll forever be connected and I think that's still the most positive thing that I feel um about being a woman in the industry um today and that goes beyond just women that work in the industry. There are so many allies and supporters. And I think just in general, um, there's just a lot of support for um, growing diversity in these spaces that you see from everyone who's been working in it as well. Like most people working in it. I'm sure there's the bad eggs out there, but we don't. I don't come across them. Um, and I think that's just really an optimistic um, part of it for me is that community that involves so many different types of people and realizing the uh, the opportunities that we have and the change that's already happened and so yeah I'm I feel really lucky to be part of that Um, and I think it's only just going to get more interesting.
1: And that's uh, such an exciting place to be in because we so often think of role models in conjunction with sort of role models being put on a pedestal as as something to look up to but actually we just have to look around us and there's all of these how lucky are we to have all of these incredible people just surrounding us that we can say yeah you're you're awesome (laughs) and you're inspiring me to do these things I think
2: that's another thing that you can feel you're quite lucky I think like a lot of people and decide to complain about their work colleagues and it's kind of natural isn't it to complain about people at work <laughs> it seems like it's maybe probably like a really British thing but it just seems like that's what we do and I think then I'm like if you're complaining about people you work with you're in the wrong job you need to be around people I know it's not always that easy yeah. but I think you have to recognize that you're all linked and you're all in it together so it's just best to, to get to get to do it together and to work together and to to connect and to bond and to try and push towards good together. Um, it's easy for me to say that in a space that is just filled with passionate people who are um, kind of working in an area that they just love so much and they want to push for. But I think you can find that. And I think that I've been lucky to find that, but it's taken many risks to get to sit here and to, to still be working in it 10 years later and to be able to financially depend on it. But I think that if you're risking it in order to do work in something that you love, which ultimately will have an outcome, which is hopefully good for the world, then I think that's a good risk to take. And it's not then, therefore, it's not a risk.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you don't find it through your work, your tribe, your space is out there. And I, I certainly do kind of feel... Some sort of responsibility in having a voice in this arena to kind of signpost to those spaces where people might find find their security and safety and creativity as well um, as you're doing too. Um, and the more that we can do that, the more that people won't feel that they are constantly having to be in one box or another. I guess <laughs>
2: exactly because maybe you go from the box that you were given in school to the box you're given in. Um, in work, to the box you're given in society. Um, and I think that sport can help you get out of those boxes and just get connected to people and get connected to the world again and just bring, bring you back down to earth. It really brings you back down to earth, these sports, especially action sports. When you take a fall on your splitboard or snowboard, <laughs> you're like, you're literally on the earth. Or in skateboarding, when you fall, you're like, yeah, that's definitely the hard concrete of london
1: to remember that next time i fall on my bum like it's great i'm earthing i'm earthing myself yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly and i think that that's one of the biggest takeaways that i took from when i went over to afghanistan with skate stand and it was watching the, the kids skate there and realizing like they are a resilient bunch because they were like flying off their skateboards, you know, they had their pads on and everything. So, But they would just get back up and they'd go, right, get the board, go again. And I was thinking, gosh, when I fall on my skateboard, I cry sometimes. Or I'm like, oh, my knee. Or, but, you know, you learn resilience from these sports and resilience is such a key to life, isn't it? And I was very much inspired by the resilience of the kids at skates and the resilience of people like Mubaraka, and the resilience of Leslie McKenna as well and just the people that I'm connected to and it I think that really inspires me um no matter where you're from or what background you've had just to be resilient to like the the fails that you're going to have in life the difficulties the just so then you can bounce back and just concentrate on the good things and just do the good things and help the good things and support the good things and do your best for the world
1: absolutely and that actually leads nicely into my final question that i ask all my guests which is what does joy mean to you
2: oh joy what does it mean to me i always think about what like my perfect day would be and it's so simple it's so lovely we'll say <laughs> um, and i think joy for me, is going outdoors, having that space, being with friends, going split boarding right now in the winter, and getting back home and sitting on the couch with my dog and my partner and having a cup of tea. And it's (laughs) I think joy is simplicity. Because I find when the times when I've got too much going on and I'm overthinking things, the joy is lost a little bit. and I think the simple act of things gives me joy.
1: Simple things and a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation um, incredibly and I just think it's wonderful that, you know, two lovely <laughs> imposters <laughs> can sit and have a, a lovely conversation
2: yeah, it's <laughs> so. So lovely and thank you for giving me the space to share um, my ramblings or my stories or my missions um, there's always a lot to talk about I could just keep going um, but yeah I feel very lucky to be supported in this space and now supported by you to tell a bit of my story and hopefully just encourages people to go out there and look at the other stories that are happening um, in these spaces that you wouldn't expect are happening and just support them as well
1: thank you so much Hannah and thank you for all the stories that you tell and hopefully we can reconnect over a cup of tea in person at some point and probably compare our compare our Emma Bridgewater mugs that our mothers have given
2: us (laughs) have a right collection by then well thank you so much for having me
1: thank you
0: I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support perseverance and joy further if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on instagram at running underscore on underscore joy I'd love to hear from you thanks for
2: listening and I'll see you next time for running on joy